Hello everybody, uh, and Kia Ura. Today we will talk about a project uh, that explored issues related to the supply of data on freight routes uh, required by the heavy vehicle road reform. We have more than 150 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I am a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with one of our presenters, uh, Gareth Prosser. Gareth represents the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Communications. He will moderate the Q&A at the end uh, of the webinar. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to oldest past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Ross Gapi. So a bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The slides today's presentation is based on can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you can find on the right hand side of your screen. The reports can be downloaded from our website. Um, there's also a question section there uh, on your sidebar. Please use it to send us your questions at any time uh, during the webinar. Um, if your question relates to any particular slide, just include the number of that slide in your message um, to help us answer your question as best as we can. Also, you can use that same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, uh, the issue is most likely with your connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session uh, via your email registration link usually helps. This session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, um, you can also find Austroads in your podcast app. So our presenters for today are Ulysses I and Gareth Prosser. We will first hear from Ulysses. Uh, he has worked at the Australian Road Research Board uh, for the past 15 years as a research scientist uh, within ARAP's asset management team. The majority of Ulysses' work has focused on uh, conducting experimental work, uh, new areas of research, and the transferal of research findings into uh, practical methods. Ulysses specializes in issues relating to ride quality and access arrangements for heavy vehicles, and the development of software tools for um, automated assessments, um, development of guidelines, and uh, sourcing and processing asset data. Our second presenter is Gareth Prosser. Uh, he's the director of the Heavy Vehicle Road Reform Project uh, at the Commonwealth Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Communications. Uh, welcome to our presenters and over to you, Ulysses. All right, so welcome everybody. So today I'm gonna to be taking you over the activities and outputs of the project, developing the data to uh, support the heavy vehicle road reform. And then I'm going to be giving you a bit of an introduction to the project and some of the background to it. So firstly, the people involved, um, we were sort of led in this project by the project manager, Michelle Barron from TMR. And because we were basically supporting the heavy vehicle road reform, as it says in the title, we basically were uh, advised quite closely by the Department of Infrastructure 
where we were assisted by George O'Keenan and then Gareth Prosser, who you'll hear from later today. So I led this project on behalf of ARB uh, as the project leader, and we had various ARB staff that were involved in the delivery of the project. As you'll see, this project covers a, a wide range of areas. So there were different types of expertise needed. And so therefore we basically called in people as they needed. So up to a dozen uh, ARB staff probably assisted on this project. In terms of the working group, uh, the Assets Task Force was assisting us in that regard. And so we presented to them a number of times about the work we were doing and getting their feedback and guidance on that from the road agency perspective. A bit of background now about the actual heavy vehicle road reform itself. As you see on the screen there, this is basically a joint reform process of the Commonwealth, state and territory and local governments aimed at establishing an economic market for the provision and use of heavy vehicle infrastructure services to provide clear links between the needs of users, the charges they pay and the services they receive. And so this current project, um, AAM6068, is actually a follow-on project from 181920. Uh, uh, so 181920 started in um, July of 2013 and ran for four years. And then this current project followed on immediately after that. And so even though those two projects have wrapped up, uh, the heavy vehicle road reform is ongoing. And so basically these two projects you're going to hear about today are basically forming a bit of a, a technical background to the, the current work that's ongoing under the heavy vehicle road reform. And we'll hear a little bit more about that at the end from Gareth. So beginning with a, a bit of a quick overview of the previous project, 181920, basically where we left off with this previous project is where we began the current project. And so I'm just quickly going to go over some of the main outputs and a couple of other points about this project. So to begin with, um, as I mentioned, uh, developing the information to support heavy road reform, it began in July of 2013, then ran through the four years to the middle of uh, 2017. And basically there were three main outputs from this project. So the first one was we came up with a provisional national road categorization for use within the project. We did this out of necessity because we're basically looking at data from across different road agencies from across the whole country. And so we needed a consistent way of being able to know which roads were alike to which roads. And so we looked at the way roads were classified within all the jurisdictions and we basically came up or we built a, a national road categorization based on the commonality. What was common between all of these, what were the important differences? The second main output that we had from this previous project was the development of the heavy vehicle infrastructure rating. This is basically a performance measure, a level of service measure that basically asks the question, how good is this road asset for heavy vehicles and fleet operators? So we want to come up with a, a metric basically that would describe uh, an assessment of the performance in terms of a, a number that could be compared. And finally, we also developed a national freight route asset register. And so this is basically we collected data from state road agencies um, pertaining to the condition of the road, um, inventory data about the road, operational data as well um, about all these routes. So we start off with the key freight routes and then we basically expanded that to the arterial networks within all of these jurisdictions. And we're basically able to bring all that data together into a, a, a national data set. The other thing that we did within the previous project was we undertook some alpha developments of awesome online tools. Uh, this was basically to facilitate the supply of data according to a national specification. Whereas previously I was doing a lot of work personally with um, Excel spreadsheets, basically massaging data into national consistency. Um, that was not really in the long term um, the way to go. And so what we did instead by developing these tools and ultimately making them available to um, do the asset owners as we did in the, in the current project that we followed up from this. Um, that basically allowed them to basically make all the decisions about how to adapt their data to make it nationally consistent. Um, and so these tools were designed to streamline that process. Basically what you're seeing in these screenshots is 
all the, um, the data from Queensland, we're basically seeing for a particular road segment that's been selected there, all of the, the sort of the inventory and condition data about that um, 100 metre section of road. I should point out that the, the asset register was basically made up of all of this data about the road network divided into 100 metre segments, because that's where the condition data is reported as. Um, the other thing we did is once we had this uh, data sets that met this data specification that we developed, um, we're basically able to automatically calculate the heavy vehicle infrastructure rating that we had developed previously. And so once again, these screenshots are showing that for a selected 100 metre road segment, um, all the information about it. And you see on the right there, the, the map of Queensland in mostly green, showing that the vast majority of the network basically meets the, the um, as expected uh, uh, condition or performance uh, metric. So that was basically where we left things in the previous project. Um, so then we moved into the current project. Uh, we basically wanted to continue the work and we had a number of uh, initial aims that we were looking to achieve. So the first, first thing was we want to continue the annual updates and publication of the, both the asset register and the heavy vehicle infrastructure rating. So as I mentioned in the previous project, we had a couple of years where we basically went to all jurisdictions, we collected their data. Um, and over the course of that, we're basically asking for more and more data and being more refined in both what we're asking for and how we were processing it. And so within the current project, we basically want to continue that process so we could get um, start building up these annual data sets. And so that really began within this project. The other thing we want to do was basically to extend this asset register to include local government roads. Previously, as I mentioned, we were dealing exclusively with the state road agencies and getting those state road networks um, and so we basically want to approach local governments as well to see if we could include information about local government roads to cover off all those issues about you know, the last mile, et cetera, and just the, the, the broader coverage. We also want to align the asset register and the Austro's data standard. Because we approached all of this from a, a ground up uh, kind of approach, we basically, we, we built our data specification based on the commonality between what was done on the ground um, within, the, within the road jurisdictions. And so that's very different to the kind of top-down approach that's been taken with the Austro's data standard. And so we basically want to look at these two things, saw how, see how they compare and see what um, we could do to sort of bring the work that we were doing more into line with the Austro's data standard, um, because that's the one where the, the natural consistency has been sort of um, progressed, at least in principle. And finally, we wanted to continue the improvement of all of the, the, the data sharing functions and even the data itself and the calculations that were being made. So basically with all the things we were doing, we basically want to have that continual process of improving to make it more practical, more robust, more accurate. And of course, these things we basically reviewed at the end of each um, project year, because with heavy vehicle road reform going on, just, just checking what we're doing within this project to make sure we were addressing the priorities of the heavy vehicle road reform. What you're seeing on your screen now is basically an overview of all the different activities of the project. So what you see there in grey on the left is basically showing you the things that we covered in the previous project 18, 19, 20, where we, we got infrastructure data and we developed an asset register and we developed a, a performance measure, which at that time was called the heavy vehicle level of service. And so what you see now in these three main areas, the red, the blue and the green, are basically the three different areas of work that we did within the project. And you'll see there the parts A to H, they basically reflect the different parts of the report. This is a very large report, 400 plus pages. And so it's been broken into different sections, different parts, um, eight different parts. And so um, if you find that any one of these uh, sort of piques your interest, you'll be able to follow up with more detail available within the different parts. So part A you see there in yellow is basically just a summary of the whole thing. Um, and then the parts B to H have the detail about the different areas. 
So just quickly, um, what's shown in red there under Part B, that's where we're basically looking at how do we measure the performance of the, of the road asset and how do we make that available to people in a useful way. And so the early parts of the project were focused on basically uh, expanding and refining the, the way in which the infrastructure rating was calculated. We had a, a framework where we had different service attributes where people could um, basically use different types of data and we did a lot of work to make sure that different types of data were, were sort of handled in a way that made them um, uh, more or less uh, equivalent even though they're basically using a different data set and that was done in order to accommodate both local government and also state road agencies. And then finally we moved um, in year three into sort of looking at how do we actually make this available. Um, so I'll be discussing that in a little bit more detail later on. So in, in the blue section there, parts C and D, this is where we're basically concerned with the asset register itself. Um, so sort of what data's in it, uh, how is that data formatted and basically how do we sort of make that available and how do we put it onto a map? Uh, and so I'll be discussing each of those things in a bit more detail later on, but then so part C basically concerned about yeah, the, sort of the quality and the accuracy of the data that we're getting. And out of that, we then launched what you see there in green, which were a number of special investigations where we had noticed some issues had arisen in data that was reported consistently, or in some cases, just not consistent at all. So we basically wanted to investigate some of these particular issues to see, to get us sort of a better handle on what is the cause and the nature of the inconsistencies within the different data sets that we are uh, handling and dealing with. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go over a quick tour of part B to H, just a reminder that part A again is a summary of all of them. Uh, and so unfortunately today I don't have a great deal of time to go into a great deal of detail about each of these. And so you'll probably find it quite frustrating that I continually refer you to the report uh, to find out more detail. But uh, here we go, let's get the tour underway. So starting with part B, the heavy vehicle infrastructure rating. So what we're basically doing here, as I mentioned a couple of times, is we wanted to be able to calculate the, the level of service provided by the road asset to heavy vehicles. We wanted to come up with a metric that would allow things to be compared easily and to be measured conveniently. And so we did that by basing it on a number of key inputs, which were basically uh, heavy vehicle access, ride quality, and then what we ended up calling leeway provided to heavy vehicles. So I put clearance there, which is not entirely accurate, because it's talking more about the amount of uh, consistent surface that the heavy vehicle has to move on laterally. And so a sealed lane uh, with a sealed shoulder in total is the amount of leeway they have, but an unsealed shoulder next to a sealed lane is not because the drop-off can create some issues. So, um, And all these three things, access, ride quality and leeway, they were identified through looking uh, at a couple of previous Osteros projects where in one case we undertook a literature review um, that involves a lot of surveys in North America. And then in another one, we took undertook uh, surveys within Australia. And both of those surveys of drivers and fleet operators actually identified the same three things that um, the drivers in particular look out for. They want to know access, can they even drive on the road in the first place? They're interested in ride quality, what's the, you know, the actual experience of driving on the road like? And then the leeway is really important in terms of having sort of a bit more room to be not only comfortable, but also in case something goes wrong, particularly if there's a, an entire lane on the side that they can if they can pull over to the road shoulder entirely and be out of the traffic. That's obviously something that they um, they look for in terms of, of leeway. So it's based on those, yeah, those key data parameters that have been proven through research to be what um, contributes to a high level of service of a road. And so we basically want to provide this performance indicator um, that was valid to all classes of roads across Australia. You recall me mentioning we came up with that, that national road categorization for use within this project. And this is why, because we want to be able to 
basically say that okay, this this is not just a measure for highways or freeways only. It's applicable to you know, freeways and to local access roads. And so we made sure that it was able to be applicable all across those. Although of course I will mention that the way it's applied is um, slightly different. And this is one of those points where I don't have time now to tell you about all of the ways in which it, it actually adapts to different road classes. And so I'll have to refer you to the report to that, part B. Uh, and so finally, what the outcome of all this was, it basically allowed us to undertake a valid comparison of different freight routes, not only for the purposes of doing that, that comparison in itself, but also for setting standards. If you want to say that particular roads have to meet a certain um, infrastructure rating, but also for informing heavy vehicle charges, because this performance indicator basically tells you the quality of the product um, that would then be you know, uh, delivered by, by road pricing. And so finally, um, we basically made this framework available in three forms. Just quickly, I'll mention that we call it a framework because it's been designed such that you can slot in and out different service attributes. So this can actually be adapted to different types of infrastructure, such as structures. Um, but basically in this current form, we made it available in, in terms of uh, basically the documentation that you'll find in part B where we list in the appendix, in the appendix basically all of the ways which all of the things are calculated, all of the constants, variables, et cetera. Um, we also made it available as an online tool in the uh, Road Manager's Toolbox. I showed you those screenshots before. That's basically just for authorised users, which is currently just um, the state road agencies and then some local governments that we've approached. Um, so it's not really publicly available through that form. But in order to address that, we basically also developed the same functionality within source code uh, in Python as a way of being able to make this available to anyone. So if um, anyone in an organisation out there is able to implement Python within their systems, they can basically take this source code and then basically implement that to automatically um, uh, to produce heavy vehicle infrastructure rating. So part C, um, talking about the National Road Asset Register, this is the largest part of the, of the report. So basically we had a number of streams, if you like, and the first one was talking about data supply. And so here we were concerned about obtaining data and so how you could obtain data and the quality of it. But as I mentioned, um, basically one of the, the main aims for this project was basically to expand the data we were getting to include local government roads. And so over years one and two, we undertook a number of pilots to basically approach local governments, talk to them about what sort of data they had, trying to, um, to see if we could obtain that data, see if we could encourage them to collect other types of data. And just quickly, the outcome from that was basically that local governments are, are both unwilling and they don't have the incentive or the resources to go and uh, collect any data that they don't collect already. Um, what I'm referring to there is that when we spoke to them, we've certainly, we came up with uh, data sets that they were well capable of collecting. But basically the message to us was that if they don't collect it already, they're not going to go and do that. Uh, and so the conclusion after those two years was unfortunately that if we want high quality data from uh, local governments, we need to go and uh, uh, basically there needs to be some sort of intervention to provide the resources and incentive for them to do that. Um, I will mention actually that wasn't true of every local government. There was one particular um, local government, um, Launceston in Tasmania, that were, were actually able to use the online tools. And um, so they're an example of a, a very competent, um, highly resourced council that was able to basically use these online tools. But unfortunately, they, they are apparently in the minority. In year three, we moved our attention to assessing open data sources that are available from not only state rate agencies, but a number of other organisations as well. Um, and so the particular question we were looking at there was, can we actually calculate the infrastructure rating from the data that's available from these open data sources? And the quick answer there is that yes, it is, but it's a lower quality of data that's being made available. For example, 
when we got our data directly from the road agencies, they were providing um, IRI, for example, at 100 meter intervals. When you look at the open source data, you can get IRI data from uh, state road agencies, but they tend to report it in, in ranges rather than specific values. And it may not be for 100 meter segments, it might be per kilometer or some other segmentation. So basically you can use it, but then you need to make some decisions about how you're going to, to process the data that you're getting. Uh, the other thing we looked at was data consistency, basically looking at how the various data things were specified and in just the time, I'll just very quickly say that we basically, over the three years, we looked at, we took various angles on looking at the data specification that we had developed and the Austro's data standard, basically looked at how each of these could um, help the other to improve. Um, and the basic outcomes were, we had some recommendations for the Austro's data standard, and we also were able to update the data specification that we were using. Um, taking some, some cues from the Austro's data standard, in particular metadata, um, which is really important for being able to compare things from year to year. So we, we are still um, using at the time the, the data specification we developed in this project, um, but uh, ongoing, we'll, that's, that's certainly an issue we'll, look, we'll be looking at. Um, in terms of data updates, this is basically where we were looking at basically how we're obtaining the data. So over year one and two, we were focusing on the use of those online tools, basically uh, developing a, a few more features and refining them to make them, um, uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead to the next one. We did do that, um, but basically, um, I'll get back to that in a moment. With the data updates, what we were doing was we were basically looking at um, obtaining the data from the, the asset owners. And so in year one, um, we went through a process where we did use the online tools, but I was the one using them. So we took those data sets that we got uh, through data requests from the, the road agencies, and then I used the online tools to basically produce uh, that national data set. And so that worked very well. And then in year two, we basically um, then made that available to the, the road agencies directly. We actually said, sent them the link and said, can you use these online tools to upload your data? And they went through that process and they did that and that, that worked um, very well. In year three, we turned our attention to a number of these investigations. That's where if you recall that diagram at the start with the different areas, so all those special investigations shown in green, that's where we addressed them in year three because we had already established a process where we were able to get data. And so our attention turned to the, I suppose, the details about the nature of the data that we were actually getting. In terms of functionality, um, this is what I was, I started to explain earlier. So in years one and two, we went through a process and make sure these online tools worked. And then in year three, we turned our attention to the development of the open source code, because as I mentioned previously, those online tools are not available to everyone. So the open source code is designed to make sure this functionality is available more broadly. Moving on now to part D, base map and data alignment. Um, this is basically looking at issues related to you know, taking data sets and putting them onto a map. And so there are two real aspects to that that we investigated. The first was we looked at a number of the candidates that are available in terms of providing a base map. Uh, and then we looked at some of the issues related to actually putting data onto a map uh, and also lining up different data sets from different sources. And so um, just quickly, I'm gonna just jump to basically uh, so the, the, main, the main finding um, in terms of the base map was there are basically two options. One is to go with a commercial provider of your map. The other is to use uh, open street maps. And so basically the pros and cons that we identified there was that the commercial map, it does have an ongoing fee, which is a, you could, be, could see as a disadvantage, but basically for that, what you'll get is that your, or that the underlying base map is actually maintained by the company. Now that includes segmentation. If you ask for a particular way for the, the um, the network to be segmented, they will actually maintain that. And secondly, 
they have the advantage of providing quarterly updates. So they'll update that underlying base map um, on a quarterly basis or thereabouts. It may vary depending on who the actual provider is, but quarterly does seem to be the, uh, the main uh, timing for that. With OpenStreetMaps, of course, it's initially very appealing because it's free, um, but there are a couple of disadvantages to that. The first one being that you do have to have a lot of in-house maintenance. Referring again to the segmentation of your network, if you want to have it in you know, one kilometer segments or just links and nodes, whatever, you actually need to um, maintain that internally. Um, the other disadvantage is 24 hour updates. OpenStreetMaps can actually be updated by anyone. And so those, um, basically the, the base map is basically refreshed every 24 hours with those changes. So that means basically that your underlying map is potentially changing every 24 hours. And so that means that your, the data that you're trying to put onto that map can be slightly, you know, uh, mismatched every uh, 24 hours. So we didn't make a recommendation um, in this part. We basically just said, these are the issues that we've identified. This is some guidance related to um, how you would go about um, sort of matching your data to a base map. These are sort of the main issues that you need to be aware of. And then we just left it at that. So um, when this is considered within the heavy vehicle road reform, or this is very general advice, actually it would be good for anyone who's um, putting data onto a map. These are the considerations that you may want to think about when you're making your decision about how to go forward with base map selection. Part E was one of the special investigations and it was about traffic data analysis. And so this was the one that um, basically uh, spurred us to undertake a lot of those special investigations because traffic data is interesting in that everyone generally reports it in the same way with AEDT, but there are a lot of questions about the, um, the consistency of that. Sometimes it wasn't even clear whether we were talking about one-way or two-way AADT. Um, and on a deeper level relating to how the data is collected, how it's processed, and, um, and even in the reporting, there are also some hidden inconsistencies in there. So basically you need one to undertake an investigation to basically um, identify why these inconsistencies were occurring. And yes, as we found, we're basically, firstly, there's a difference in business need. The data is actually collected for different reasons, and therefore that has a big influence on the nature of the data, what it actually looks like. There's a difference in availability of equipment. So different um, contractors will go out and collect data. Once again, different business need, but then also they may just have access to different equipment. I'm sure we've all been driving along the road and sometimes we see one tube across the road. Sometimes there's two. Sometimes there's a guy on the side of the road with a clipboard and sometimes we don't even see the, the collecting, uh, data collecting equipment at all. And so um, sometimes this equipment is based on who, what the contractor has. Sometimes it's based on what the actual need is. Uh, so there's a whole range of different ways that data can actually be collected. And finally, the actual um, processes in terms of the actual cal calculations or formulas that are used can actually differ as well. And so there are all these inconsistencies that can be hidden, even though at the end of the day, you're getting an AADT and are being told that this is the AADT for this length of road. Um, so unfortunately, you can't necessarily do that comparison um, to another road because it might be different. And so unsurprisingly, there are basically two solutions to, the, to addressing these inconsistencies. The first one is to basically create a national business need. And what I'm talking about here is basically saying that um, when information is first collected on the ground, there is, a, um, there is basically, it can be done to address the business need. Because as I'm going to point out later, a lot of the national reporting is done like an afterthought, it's a secondary thing. So creating a national business need, um, will basically allow data to be collected uh, that will fit uh, that national business need, which is basically consistency um, in a nutshell. Um, and you do that basically through the second thing I'm recommending here, which is basically the development of a national 
traffic data specification. So this just makes it clear that when um, someone, be it a local government or a, um, an organisation or a, a radio agency goes to collect their traffic data, they have a way of being able to basically know that, okay, we're collecting this data and it has the ability to be used in these national applications. If we don't follow the specification, if we don't follow this national business need, then the data we're collecting is going to be you know, limited in use. And so those are ways of being able to address that inconsistency, which are not surprising solutions, but they're basically to be done. Um, and this final point is applicable to all of the data sets that we're talking about here, but it was really highlighted with this traffic data analysis, so I've mentioned it here. That's basically just to say that data on road usage is perhaps the most fundamental item of information needed to support a more market-like system of road provision and funding. So it's really underlined in this project or in this, um, in terms of traffic data, because this is saying that, um, everybody's interested in, uh, saying that it looks the same when it's reported across the country. And so it's really, really important that these inconsistencies are identified and eliminated um, if you want to have a reliable data set that can inform this market-like approach. The next part, part F, um, I'll try and go through this quite quickly, but basically over the past um, few years, the NTC has been going through this process of developing this forward-looking cost-based model for um, basically recouping costs and investment and maintenance of the uh, funding and maintenance of the road network. And so what they've been doing is they've been getting um, expenditure reporting data from jurisdictions, including their forecasts. And so they've basically been working with jurisdictions on the reporting of this data, this expenditure data over the past few years, and the quality of that data has been improving over the years. However, there have been a couple of problems with it. Firstly, there's a key concern because there's a divergence between the forecast and the actual expenditure data. So what that means is basically um, a road agency will say that um, we project over the next 12 months, we're going to expend, we're going to spend this amount of money on maintaining the road network. And then when it comes to 12 months later and you see the actuals, there's a mismatch between those, um, those numbers. The second thing, there was an inability to explain the reported expenditure between the forward-looking cost base and PAYGO. So PAYGO is the current system. Unfortunately, I don't have time to go into it here. Um, but basically the point is that if you want the forward-looking cost base to take over from PAYGO, you need to have a certain amount of confidence and transparency around that to say that yes, this is not only, um, it's at least equivalent and it's also better um, than the previous system in these very demonstrable ways. And so that's quite, it's quite important that whatever inconsistencies exist are able to be explained. And so we undertook an investigation to basically identify that with the data that we had available. Unfortunately, we only had available two years worth of data where we had the forecast and then the actuals to compare. Um, but basically we identified that the most discrepancy between those forecasts and those actuals is between, um, it was basically in the renewal upgrade and expenditure uh, or expansion expenditure categories. Excuse me. And so basically um, this is relating to basically the, the maintenance of the road where, and I'm talking, I should point out here, I'm talking here about uh, basically pavements, road pavements. Um, so in terms, in terms of things like capital, they were obviously um, able to fit more, the actuals met the forecast and other types of operational expenditure where it's a bit more, where it turned out to be a bit more predictable, but where you're dealing with the, um, the road pavements, that's where the, um, the uncertainty was. And so when we, we spoke to, we interviewed the road agencies about that and their basic feedback was to us that a lot of those issues arose because the way the forward and cost-based categories were organised were fundamentally different to how they were structured um, within the organisation themselves. And once again, I don't have time to go into a great deal of detail, but 
um, just to point out, it's not as simple as saying that I'll just adjust the fourth and cost-based categories then. It's, there are reasons why the categories are the way they are, um, and it's, it's not a simple issue to resolve. Um, but actually that's where the, the, um, the problems are. So, um, but as I mentioned, the, the quality of data has been improving. And so um, ongoing, there's going to be, um, this issue is going to continue to be looked at, but hopefully we've been able to sort of illuminate that a little bit more. And as I mentioned, we only had two years worth of data to look at in this analysis. So it'll be really interesting and I think important to be able to continue that analysis looking at additional years worth of data. In part G, um, I'm going to whip through these last two very quickly. Um, part G is basically just looking at pavement deterioration modeling across jurisdictions. Once again, this is all about, you know, uh, with national, with national building consistency of natural data sets, where do the inconsistencies lie? And let me just bring these both out quickly. Basically, we found that um, all the different road agencies did approach their pavement deterioration modeling in a very similar way, mostly using deterministic models, and they used the same types of data data sets um, to basically support that. And so the issue then is not the modeling, it's actually the data that's input to that modeling. And so once you solve those, those, those issues of inconsistency within the data, you'll solve any inconsistencies within the pavement deterioration modeling, to an extent, uh, I should say just to be careful about what I'm saying. Um, but also there's currently Nostra's project, which is looking at pavement deterioration modeling across the road jurisdictions in more detail. And so that one, uh, that project should have some interesting outcomes on this issue as well. Part H was an investigation of maintenance data records. We were basically looking at, um, do different road agencies record their information about um, the, the periodic and routine maintenance in the same way? Um, uh, and we basically found that they do basically approach routine and periodic maintenance in the same way in terms of the types and the quality of data records that they keep. Um, um, but we have basically had the same issue. So they all, if you like, do things in a similar way um, to the same extent. And so the problem is, is, is broadly the same across all these jurisdictions where they are keeping records, but they tend not to be detailed enough um, to potentially use in ways that they want to be used. And what I'm talking about there is that they tend to less be a record of surface defects and more a record of expenditure on addressing surface defects. So for example, you might have a line item saying that we spent um, such and such amount of money um, within a month um, to address potholes across the network. Um, but they have, they have less detail about where those pot, individual potholes actually were. Because um, that's kind of level of detail is where the data about the surface defects actually becomes useful because you can identify Okay, where are these um, potholes, for example, occurring? What sort of um, potholes, not the best example for this, but anyway, I'll go with it. Um, so where the potholes are occurring, um, what, is it, what is this telling us about the way the road is being used, the way the road is being maintained, about the conditions of the road? So when you have that service defect information in that level of detail, it actually provides you something you can start to use, as opposed to saying we spent um, $70,000 of fixing potholes in this month. This is just a reminder before I go into um, my, my final thoughts on this project that you can actually submit some questions that we'll address at the end. Just look on the sidebar and you'll see that question mark in the speech bubble and that'll take you to a form where you can fill in the question that we will address. And so now I'm just going to talk very quickly about the key findings for this project. So there are basically key, five key findings that I'm going to mention very briefly here. Once again, part A of the report has these findings in a bit more detail. The first one is that data is collected and processed according to the varying needs and priorities of individual uh, jurisdictions leading to inconsistencies in national data sets. This is making the point that you need to understand that often when you see a national data set 
it is a data set of uh, consistently re reported data. Um, and so what that means is the, the data within the jurisdiction can be very different, but they will make it conform to a reporting standard. Um, and that then can seal a lot of inconsistencies in what this data actually means. Second thing is sort of looking at a bit of a way of how to address that. Um, so without a nationally endorsed process that places responsibility on their organizations, jurisdictions are not given direct calls to identify and correct inconsistencies in their data as part of their normal business. This is referring again to the fact that often national reporting is treated as a, a secondary task, as an afterthought. So after they've gone out, done their normal day-to-day -day job, and they have data that fits their needs, oh, now somebody um, in a national office wants a reporting of their data. Okay, here it is, manipulate it to fit the data requirements, and then there it is. And so if you want to address inconsistency, you need to do it basically at the point where the data is, is collected, so from the origin. Um, and so what that means is that these concerns or the, the basically the national need, the business need at an, in a national level basically needs to be um, known and valued um, at the point where the data is actually collected if you want to fundamentally address all of these inconsistencies. Um, uh, that probably sounds like a large undertaking and it is. And I'm going to make a point a little bit later at the end about how you need to consider whether or not you actually need that level of accuracy in your data. Point three is, uh, or finding three is about local governments. Basically just making the point again that they're not well equipped to maintain and provide data to the extent needed. Um, and just saying that if we want to get higher quality data about uh, local government roads, we either need a sort of a, a massive kind of intervention that's going to provide the resources and incentive to them, or just go through a third party process where we go and collect the data that we need about um, local government's roads separate to local governments. Um, I think the, the main conclusion of this project is that getting the data through the local governments is very, very difficult. Uh, finding four is basically bringing together data from diverse organisations on a national map requires far more standardisation than can be achieved by mandating consistency through reported data. Now that sounds like what I've mentioned already in one, but I'm talking here about when you put things on a map. And one of the things that, one of the dangers, I suppose, or um, uh, things to be aware of, the cautions, when you're putting data on a map is that often data from different organisations, from different sources collected for vastly different reasons um, can be put on a map. And when that's done, then there's a, a potential, um, uh, what I'm looking for, I'll just say there's a caution, you need to be cautioned that that data um, isn't necessarily um, able to be compared just because it's applying to the same road segment on a map. An example might be, you might have information about um, you know, climate information indicating the, the, the vulnerability of, of a particular stature of, of road. And then you might have another data set that's talking about um, uh, expenditure related to resilience um, of, of a road section. And then you might look at your, your road network and see that, hey, these, these data sets don't match up. I'm not seeing the greater expenditure where there's a greater threat um, or a greater risk. Uh, and that doesn't mean that one of those data sets is wrong. It just means that they've both been developed um, for different reasons um, based on different factors. Um, and so you can't necessarily say, um, necessarily use these um, as a valid comparison, but that's, um, so I suppose that's just a caution and you need, to, people need, sort of need to be aware of that when it comes to putting data onto a map. Point five is just talking about um, the data standards and specifications, um, top-down national standards or guidelines for data do not include considerations for how data is developed from ground truth. This was um, 
this is just to make a point that the reason why we persisted with using our own sort of data specification within this project was because the, the top-down standard as represented by the Austria's data standard, um, it's very broad, it's very abstract, and so it doesn't have a lot of the, um, I suppose, the, the ground truth concerns um, that, that are obtained within when you sort of build things from the ground up. Um, but then, of course, the, the ground-up approach does have its limitations as well. Um, so the point I'm making here is that it would be ideal if we could bring together both the top-down and the ground-up approach to, to achieve a kind of, a, I suppose, a middle ground, something that's more, that is sort of, it is practical, it is close to what's being done already, but at the same time, it, it doesn't compromise on that national consistency. So as a final point, uh, I just want to talk about um, this is, this is kind of overarching, I suppose, finding or insight um, that sort of I sort of personally um, got from doing this, this project, which is that basically what this seesaw is showing you is that the closer the application of a data is to the reason why it was collected, the more accurate it is because it is precisely fit to purpose. It's being used for the reason that it was collected. As your application drifts away from that reason, then the data becomes more compromised because it's being adapted to a secondary purpose. And so what that means is that as long as your data is being used for something that wasn't, it wasn't collected to do, there's always going to be um, an element of inconsistency. And the point I want to make here is that um, rather than seeing that automatically as a problem, you can basically ask yourself, you know, how much accuracy do I actually need for this um, secondary application? Uh, and in this particular case, I'm, causing, I'm talking about a national application even though of course there's a tendency to say that, oh, we want the most accurate and, and reliable data possible. Um, I think as you've seen within the issues I've discussed within this project, there's obviously a cost associated with that. And so the question needs to be asked about, okay, is going through the cost and the trouble to get this national consistency at the point of collection, is that actually necessary for the application that we have in mind? Um, and so I just leave that as a question or recommend it as a question to be asked because in some cases um, that level of accuracy and reliability is not actually um, the primary cause. Um, obviously in the long term hopefully we can, I think the aim of everybody is to introduce this consist natural consistency to that point of collection but uh, in the meantime we should approach it in a practical way and make sure that we are, you know, um, let's, let's increment towards natural consistency perhaps because um, that, that seems to me to be the practical way to go. So I won't waffle on any more about this. Um, so I'll turn things now over to Gareth, who has a few comments to make about what happens next with this work and where um, this project has left things in terms of the heavy growth reform. So over to you, Gareth. Yes, thanks, Ulysses. So the outputs of this three-year project will inform the work that infrastructure and transport ministers are currently prioritising. And as you can see listed on this slide here, the main pieces of work are firstly, national service level standards for roads. Secondly, national freight data hub. And thirdly, the heavy vehicle road reform pathway of implementation decisions. Now we've learned a lot through this project about current practices, about issues and challenges and questions that Ulysses has talked about but also some opportunities. What we plan to do next is to build on the heavy vehicle asset registers and the infrastructure rating. We plan to collect an enhanced set of data on road performance and to map and publish harmonized data with the purpose of 
promoting national consistency and transparency to road users. So we know better now from this project how best to collect that data. And that's both state and territory road data, but also local government road data, and where we need to devote resources to achieve those aims. So we certainly have found the project very useful and we will be building on that knowledge. Thanks. All right, thank you, Gareth. So next is uh, just questions. Hopefully we've received some questions. Yes, we have. So I'll moderate this part of the webinar. First question we've got goes back to slide 11, where Ulysses, you mentioned that national road categorization. Now, um, our questioner is asking whether that classification used for the infrastructure rating is the same as the Austro's classes one to seven, or is it something different? It is something different. Um, as I mentioned, basically in the, in the beginnings, this was back in um, the previous project, 18, 1920, um, we saw a need to come up with a, a national uh, road classification system that we could actually use. Um, so we actually developed that quite early on and we did look at the, the Austro's um, road classes as part of that. Um, but we also looked at what was done within the, the state road or in the state jurisdictions individually, and then basically amalgamated as much as possible um, all of those different um, approaches to, to road classification, including the Austro's road classification. So the answer is we did use it, um, but it was just one, um, one, one system, if you like, one approach um, in, a, in, in what we basically put together. Mm. Yes, which you had to do at the time. Uh, and since then, I can tell people that um, a draft national road categorisation has been developed under the National Service Level Standards for Roads project. So um, people will be hearing more about that over the next year or so as we prepare for that one being implemented. Next question, going back to slide 12, you mentioned then national specifications for data supply. Can you please advise how this relates to the Austroads data standard? Yeah, so um, this data specification that we developed within this project um, was really for use within this project to obtain the consistency that we needed um, in order to process these national data sets. Um, and so it is different to the Austroads data standard, as I've mentioned, because we, um, we sort of developed it in parallel. We were sort of talking to um, the people who were undertaking the um, uh, the Austro data standard work and particularly the prioritised harmonised data set. Um, so we were aware of it, but because we were basically essentially building our consistency in a different way, being looking at what the road agencies were doing on their own, and then kind of making those adjustments um, as small as possible to achieve that natural consistency, that's quite different to the, the more dramatic approach that's being taken by the Austro data standard. So I think the answer is that it um, but then I should say that in the course of this project, as I mentioned, we went through processes of trying to bring these two closer together. Um, so at this point, it is, it is the two are closer, but they are still fundamentally quite different. So hopefully that, that answers the question. Yes, thanks. And as we move forward on those next steps that I described, we will certainly be adhering to the data standard where it's relevant for heavy vehicle road reform. Next question, um, a related one. It might just be a quick answer, Ulysses. Um, did the project identify any other 
national data specifications for priority development? Um, the short answer is no. Um, obviously, we, we didn't want to, um, what, what you mean, you don't want a, a plurality of national standards. So we're really looking for, you know, um, how can we sort of narrow this down? And so, um, yeah, the only ones that we um, we really looked at was the, the Australia's data standard and then the one that we developed ourselves. Um, and then we didn't want to sort of uh, complicate things by uh, introducing other national or so-called national data specifications. Yep. Okay, good. The next question we have relates to the base map part of the report that you talked about. And by base map, we're talking here about a, a consistent way of geolocating road segments. So everyone uses the same specifications, so we're all consistent. Now, the question is whether you have had discussions with Geoscience Australia to potentially identify a nationally consistent spatial road uh, map or data set. And are you interested in integrating OpenStreetMap as the heavy vehicle regulator uses? Mm. Uh, we, Geoscience Australia, I think um, they had input into that part D of the report. Um, it was circulated to a few organisations in this space who, um, who, ha who had their say on it. Um, uh, so I don't recall exactly um, what input um, Geoscience Australia had. Um, but basically, the, because we were, we were trying to just to do uh, a kind of a an investigation where we said these are the important issues rather than saying this is the answer mm. this is we haven't really um, gone through uh, and uh, done much to sort of, sort of say that this is the, the way to go for these reasons we try to keep it very open and sort of step back from making a recommendation um, and so really we we're assessing these different base maps on their merits and saying you know if you use this one, this is what's good about it, this is what's not so great about it, or this other one, this is what's good about it, this is what's not so great about it. So we didn't um, sort of go through the, uh, that final point about making a recommendation. And so that includes open street maps as well. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we're basically saying that um, it's a way to go. Um, and these are the concerns that you should have if you want to um, go ahead with open street maps. The same thing as we did with the others. Yep. So hopefully that yeah, answers. so it sounds like yeah, it does, because specifying a, a base map for everyone to use, it, that sounds like that's a decision for governments, but we'd be better prepared with the information to take that decision as a result of your report. Yes, that's the intention, yeah. Great. Next question is a short one. Is the spatial data publicly available? Uh, the data produced um, in this project, uh, they, they are available. Um, now this is the the asset uh, uh, asset register, national asset register, and the um, the heavy vehicle infrastructure rating outputs. Um, in we basically made those available in um, this is uh, CSV data sets, and also there are some um, some maps available. Is as a um, I've just forgotten the file extension, but there's basically a map format that those files are available, and they were initially published at the time, which was a couple of years ago now, on the um, the, the tick website. Um, so I'm unsure uh, where they are currently now, um, but those were available and I believe they are still available somewhere. Yes, I think you're right. The uh, Ministerial Council has changed its name. So if people want to access those infrastructure ratings, the asset registers, and those files that Ulysses mentioned, um, you can search the infrastructure.gov.au website 
and just search for infrastructure and transport ministers. They're in that part of the website. Great. Okay, uh, next question. How can we get a copy of the Python source code? It would be great to see if there is anything we can leverage to align our heavy vehicle data. Yeah, so um, this was designed to be um, broadly available. So just as a reminder, the source code covers um, a, uh, in a, in a Python environment, the first bit of source code will basically check a, uh, a data set and tell you, give you a report on whether it meets this data specification that we have used. Um, and the second bit of Python code will actually, um, once a data set does meet that uh, data specification, or at least the relevant parts thereof, um, it will be able to automatically calculate the heavy vehicle infrastructure rating. Um, so there are two bits of Python code we're talking about, and they um, are available through GitHub. And I'll have to uh, chase down a link to that, and hopefully we, we can make that available with uh, whatever materials are, are made available um, at the end of this webinar. Yeah, good. If you could, that sounds great. And then the final question we have, will the outputs from this time-limited project be used and maintained in an ongoing sense by the department? And if so, for what purpose? Well, that sounds like it's a question for me. I may have now covered that answer in the final slide that I spoke to, because we're going to be incorporating the lessons from this project into our planned collection and publishing of national road data. And the principal vehicle through which we'll be taking that forward is through the National Service Level Standards for Roads. And we'll be publishing more information on that next year. Okay, Ulysses, unless you wanted to add anything else, I think that's it for the Q&A session. No, I think the only thing I would say is that um, thank you everyone for listening and, and hopefully you've heard something there that's um, that sort of whetted your appetite to learn more. And um, once again, being a bit annoying, I refer you to the uh, the full report for more detail. All right. Um, thank you very much, Ulysses and uh, Gareth, for a fantastic webinar and very interesting Q&A. Um, so thanks, our audience, uh, for being with us. Before uh, we'll let you go, I just have uh, two slides. Um, so a few words um, about our future webinars. You might be interested in uh, joining us for the session on the 14th of October um, to hear about a new framework uh, to support consistent approaches to understanding and uh, comparing the pavement impacts um, of performance-based uh, standards vehicles. So for more information on all of our sessions and to register, please visit our website. And as usual, after we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes uh, to send us your feedback. Uh, it really helps us to know what you liked, what you didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. Uh, once again, uh, today's session is being recorded and we will let you know uh, when the recording is available on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time.